You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Go ahead and stay on your feet for the reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had borne him a son, and they named him Jesus. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, there really should be a warning label on this sermon. Merry Christmas, by the way, everybody. We've had fever in our household for like somewhere over 10 days. Nathan caught the flu about 12 days ago. Lizzie and I have been fighting it off. Lizzie Lizzie fought through it early on in the week. And by Tuesday at night, at 6, I went to bed and I didn't get up till Thursday. And I started feeling a little better Thursday and Friday. But there just really should be a warning label on this sermon whenever it's prepared when someone has the flu. Just know that. It probably needs a warning label on it because of this story, too. This is some story. Well, as we get started, imagine for me, if you will, that you get what you want for Christmas. You get whatever you want for Christmas. Now, you don't even have to, you can defy logic here. You can resurrect people, you can have no price tag, but you get what you want for Christmas. Do you think that would change anything for you? Do you think it would be all that you might expect? Are there maybe some things that might happen if you got that thing that right now you can't really anticipate or expect happening. There was a man who was trying to make sense of his life. His life was actually pretty good. Business was good. He was gainfully employed, running his own business. He was engaged to be married to a wonderful girl. Everything was going well. Life was good. And his girl tells him that she is pregnant. 
Now, whenever a girl tells a guy that she's pregnant, there's a lot of things that happen. Sometimes the guy is instantly thrilled. What? My girl is going to have my baby? And there's just this excitement that happens. Sometimes there's a little bit of fear. My girl with my baby? What's that going to mean? And sometimes there's even a little bit of anger, too. My girl? What? Now? And a bit of anger and frustration. Now, this particular man, whose life was pretty well together and everything was going reasonably well, and one would think that a pregnancy is an exciting thing, there's one part of this story that gets left out, and that's that the baby is not his baby. Now, I'll just be conservative here, but 99.9% .9 of men engaged to a woman who finds out that the baby is not their baby, they're not happy about it. And I realize I'm being conservative here, but there, there's a lot going on whenever you realize that you've been let down in some way. Is this really my girl? Because it's not my baby. Well, Joseph is not 99.9% .9 of guys. Believe it or not, he actually wrestles with this. Now granted, this is in a Middle Eastern context where all of the shame really is on the woman in this case, but he's wrestling with what to do in this situation. Now, odds are, she's probably in her teens. He's probably in his early 20s, maybe as old as 30. And the way a Jewish or Middle Eastern wedding would take place is an arranged marriage. So they probably had been engaged for a long time. Usually at childbirth, a couple of parents get together and they'd say, you know, we want our daughter to marry your son. Parents say, yep, that's a good idea. We'll go for that. And then you get to a second phase when the girl and the guy are older and the girl can actually speak up for herself as to whether or not she wants to be betrothed to this guy. And they enter a second stage that's a one-year period of betrothal where they're legally married. So if he dies, she's thought of as a widow. If one of them is unfaithful, they're thought of as adulterers. And yet they still are not together. They have not come together physically. They're not living in the same household. The third stage is the stage where you're actually married. And you come together. And you, the, the man brings the woman under his house. And she is his wife. So here's Joseph wrestling with this, and I'm wondering why he's wrestling with this. I mean, he's got a couple of options. If he wants to go the legal route, or actually the religious route, the law of Moses route, in Deuteronomy 22, the penalty is pretty stiff. If a woman that you're engaged to, you figure out that she's not been faithful if there can be evidence given of her unfaithfulness, and I'd say a pregnancy is pretty good evidence, they take the woman and they stone her. The men of the town stone her. Now, I know that's shocking for our ears, and this is an occasion for those of us Christians and Jews to exercise a little bit of humility whenever we give Muslims a hard time about the Quran being a violent text. Well, here's one of those times for us as well a violent expression that 
kind of defies what we're used to at all because this is illegal. You can't kill a woman for unfaithfulness. But that's what he could do. So I'm kind of thankful that Joseph is wrestling with this and he doesn't just go to the black and white answer. He's being more like we are, where we're wanting to be faithful to God and faithful to another human being and faithful to Scripture and sometimes realize that black and white interpretation of Scripture is not going to be the right way to go in this case. So I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm thankful that Joseph is considering his option two, which is to divorce her. He decides that the best thing to do would be to dismiss her quietly so that she won't be exposed to public shame. He has chosen the divorce option. And this is great. Now, at this point, I want to point out, he's had no supernatural help or interference at all. He's wrestled internally with what this means. And he's come to a, a very difficult decision, probably with a lot of pain, that I think most guys would not have gone through. They would have just said, forget it. If she doesn't care about me, I'm done. So, at the moment that he has got this decision made, that's when the angel shows up in his dream and says, by the way, Joseph, know you've been wrestling with this, just want you to know it's okay. Go ahead and marry the girl. Now, I don't know what, what to do with that. I don't know which part blows my mind more. That I've just had an angel of the Lord come to give a message to me in my dream. I mean, that's going to get my attention. Or what about a message that says, I want you to go ahead and marry this girl who's bearing a child that we know is not yours, but go right ahead. I mean, is that difficult? Or what about the last one? This child is of the Holy Spirit. All of those things are shocking and stunning. And Joseph, even though his decision was made to divorce this woman, to not kill her, he alters that decision one more time and decides to marry her and to welcome her into his home. That is a noble adjustment of his plan. Evidently, this dream was enough to convict him of what he needed to do to marry her, to not have intercourse with her until after the birth of this child. I'm impressed by this kind of adjustment, this kind of flexibility to the action of God. The final voice in the story comes from the prophets comes from the prophet Isaiah that the young woman or the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a child that will be called Emmanuel, or God with us. And in this story, as one shocking thing after another shocking thing happens, I think for me, the idea of God with us continues to be one high layer on that cake. It is unbelievable that God would choose not only to enter humanity, but to enter into the scandal of this story, to be present with this guy and this gal. Well, that's Matthew's story. That's Matthew's Christmas story. I dare you to read that one around the Christmas tree. 
with no things held back. It's a difficult story that for just being seven verses has perpetuated 2,000 years of discussion, millions of hours of conversation about what is this? Could this be real? A couple years ago I heard a new voice, new song, new music, new person. A 15-year-old girl had released a song on SoundCloud. Anybody could do that. But her song started to get a lot of play quickly. And I started hearing about Billie Eilish uh, a little over a year ago, back in the late summer of last year. And there's a lot about Billie Eilish that, you know, it's strange that she would show up in a sermon, right? This woman who just last week turned 18, just last month was American Music Association Artist of the Year and is nominated for four Grammys next month whenever they give Grammys away. It's kind of odd for me to bring her up in a sermon. This 15-year-old girl turned 18 that's pouty and dark. She likes The Office, but I think she's like the character on Parks and Rec, the pouty little teenage girl on, on that show. And her lyrics, I mean, she covers very dark things like being a bad guy and good girls going to hell. So why bring up her in a sermon? Well, I'm worried about her. I'm not worried about the way she dresses or I'm not worried about her look or her hair. I'm not even really worried about her language. We get numb to obscene language. What I'm worried about for her is her fame. Because fame has a way of destroying people, of changing us. Just think about all the girls that you've known. Britney Spears, Madonna, Jessica Simpson, Miley Cyrus, on and on it goes. And is she the next one in line? Let's listen to a piece of her song that came out just last month as she seems to understand about fame. She has a dream. Yeah, I know. I get it. I get it. She has this dream that she gets everything she wants. And she's smart enough to say it might have been a nightmare. If we truly get everything we want, is that a good thing? Is it what we want? Does it succeed? In this song, she wrestles towards the end. If I knew way back then, <laughs> a year ago, three years ago, 
what I know now, would I do it all over again? She is really wrestling with what's going on with the fame around her. And this girl is now 18, just now legal age, to be an adult. Well, why to bring her up? <laughs> why, why bring up this dark singer? Well, she's about the same age as Mary. Dealing with intense pressure. Mary might have thought that having this kind of connection with God would be everything she wants, but does she have any idea what she's in for to say yes to this? Does she understand the grief and the pain and the suffering? I bring her up to point out the age of Mary and how difficult this is and how overpowering changes in our circumstance can be. And I wonder, does she, do you and I, do we have the training necessary? Do we have the God training available to us to actually be able to hold up under this kind of pressure? For 2,000 years, we've talked about this story, and it still blows my mind. How God coming among us alters reality. God choosing to have this kind of deep connection with us. To become the Messiah in the way that God did did not fit expectations. It didn't fit the norm. In fact, if we were to think about the Messiah as if it were a, as if he or she were a package wrapped up under the Christmas tree, if you look at the size and the shape and you rattle this package and say, all right, what is it that I expect the Messiah to be? Every good Jew expected the Messiah to be a king, a man in charge, a man who spoke and it was done, a man like David, just the right amount of handsome, of youth, right? A military leader who's strong and powerful, a warrior, ready to go to battle, but also someone that you'd like to hang out with, someone that's a good people person, right? That's the expectation of what the Messiah would be. Now when you pick up Jesus and you see how Jesus is wrapped and you shake Jesus, you think, is this guy really the Messiah? This humble person who spoke point blank to people, usually people in power. Someone who was very coy, very shy about being the Son of God and preferred more obscure terms like Son of Man. Was Jesus the Messiah that we expected? Who didn't declare his innocence? Who didn't stand up and speak for himself? Who didn't use his power for military or political gain? Is this what we expect? It's not what we see in our political landscape. You know, our public leaders, they avoid the law. They see themselves above the law. They use it for their own self-interest, using their power for themselves. This week's been a tough week. The United States president was impeached this week. That's no small thing. That is a sad thing for our country. And I realize this is a room full of Christians, right? Can I speak to the Christians in the house? Are we Christian here? Okay, now I know that this is also a room that's full of Republicans and 
Democrats and independents and I don't care about that, right? Those four big groups. So I realize that there's a wide perspective of views and we should care. We should have opinions. We should allow for other people to have a different opinion too. And today, I'm not really interested in taking a position on something as significant as what has happened this week. But I want to speak to the Christians about something that did happen this week. A comment that stood out to me, that I hope stood out to you. When in the U.S. House of Representatives, one compared the plight of our president to the plight of Jesus. Representative Barry Loudermilk from Georgia claimed that Jesus received a more fair trial from Pontius Pilate than President Trump received in his hearing. Now, here is the exact quote from Loudermilk. When Jesus was falsely accused of treason, Pontius Pilate gave Jesus the opportunity to face his accusers. During that sham trial, Pontius Pilate afforded more rights to Jesus than the Democrats have afforded to this president in this process. End of quote. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters who follow Jesus as Lord, I hope that caught your attention because it speaks at the level of corruption and division in our present political conversation. Because in it, it implies that the president is more mistreated than the Son of God who bore the sins of the world. Is that a good comparison? Is that a fair comparison? Our president is not facing execution. Our president had an opportunity to come and speak and declined. He speaks in other ways. But as a Christian, I'm troubled by a comparison that equates someone, anyone, to Jesus Christ. In fact, lifts them over Jesus Christ. I believe that cheapens Jesus' sacrifice significantly because he bears the sins of the world. There is no comparison. God-loving, Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit-filled spirit filled people, even those with flu. We must lift up Jesus. Jesus. Not a president, not a party, not even a country, but Jesus Christ. Can we stand with Jesus? Can we see how this story of Mary and Joseph shows us where God puts his allegiance? Not with power, not playing political games, not using Christianity. But Mary and Joseph are humble people. People that allow and welcome God into their lives even when it doesn't meet their expectations. These are people that are worth imitating. I want to challenge you in this time that if you're finding yourself listening to more news and reading more news, then you are praying and reading scripture, it is time to adjust your schedule. Okay? We are Christians. All right? We are followers of Jesus Christ, and we must be careful lest we make these kind of well intentioned comments 
that border on blasphemy of equating people to Jesus Christ. When I think about Joseph and Mary, I think about two people that were entrusting themselves to the call of God in radical, radical ways that I don't know if I could have done. It terrifies me to think about. I mean, they were put in some difficult circumstances for God to break in into this situation where it seems like there's an illegitimate child, where Joseph must adopt a child that is not his own. That is amazing that they would do such a difficult thing. For God to shock us in this way makes me question a lot. The response of how we respond, learning from Joseph and Mary, is important. Because God is the one who saves, and God is the one who is with us, and we have a choice of whether or not we will live with God. Will we be like Joseph and Mary? Will we bear the shame that comes from lifting up Jesus at all costs? Will we bear that shame? Will we take that embarrassment? Are we ready to extend company, hospitality to God, to welcome him in our midst, even if that means releasing control and releasing expectation? Whenever you invite God over for the holidays, things change. Because the allegiance of who is Lord and who is top Lord stands above everything else. In our time together over these four weeks, we've been gathering around this Advent wreath. We have been looking at how we might thrive during this holiday season. Because sometimes it's all we can do to survive. And we've tried to readjust our focus by looking at our families and how difficult they can sometimes be. And we cast our eyes on a different family, a spiritual family of those who do the will of God. Not quote it or know it, but do the will of God. And in the second week, we looked at how we might receive the kingdom of God like a child, welcoming the lordship of Jesus, welcoming God as our parent. And then last week, we watch the amazing gift of the woman who lavishly gives this gift to Jesus. And we were invited to explore what kind of lavish gift are we going to give to Jesus? How are we going to honor Jesus through this season? And today, today we're invited to make room in our homes and in our hearts for a God that defies our expectation, for a God that is bigger than any one person or any one place or any one country. This is a God that's worth having with us. Everything that I've ever wanted is to live with God. And that's difficult because it doesn't always fit into my expectations of what that kind of life should be or should look like. We'll have to let go of our understanding that God is somehow going to make us more successful or make us better because we are with God. Because we are being with God. That is enough. And when you're with God, you release control. You let control go. You let your expectations go of the way things should be. And you let God be God. Can we be, be this kind of hospitable people this holiday season? Can we truly welcome God in, even if it's an uncomfortable holiday season? And even if God pushes us into new areas? Let's pray.
God, we are so thankful that you are God and that we are not God. We need your help in crazy times to be people who lift up the name of Jesus, not only in our words, but with our schedules and with how we conduct our lives. We pray for our world. We pray for our leaders. And we pray that the world will turn to you. That this entire world will begin to recognize the importance of the arrival of Jesus and welcome your rule and welcome your reign as it comes. We know that all of us will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And we pray that that take place sooner rather than later. May our knees hit the floor and may our tongues declare your praise. Jesus is Lord. We pray this through the power of Jesus. Amen.